Today I'm going to tell you the story of the prodigal son. A story of a forgiving father. A story of a brother who's confused and frustrated. A story that Jesus himself told the people around him when they tried to understand why he would spend time with sinners. This is the story of the prodigal son. After Jesus had been ministering the gospel to the masses for some time, people began to be drawn to him. They wanted to spend time with him. Even the sinners and the tax collectors, the most despised of the time, were seen eating meals with him. Now when the religious leaders of, those, of that time, the Pharisees and the scribes is what they were called, when they found out that Jesus was eating with these people, they were confused. They couldn't understand how a man who spoke with such authority on the scriptures would spend time with people so low and unholy. And so when they came to Jesus and challenged him on this issue, he responded with three stories to try to open their eyes so that they might see. First, Jesus told the story of a single lost sheep and the shepherd who left his flock of 99 behind to go after that one that was lost until it was found and he could bring it back home. Then Jesus told the story of a woman who lost a single coin in her house. She searched high and low. She got a lantern and looked in every crack and crevice of that house until she found that coin. And when she did, she called all of her friends to come over and celebrate because what was precious had been lost and was now found. Then Jesus told a final story about a family, a father and his two sons. One day the youngest son came to his father and said, I want my share of our wealth now. I want my inheritance now. So the father divided it up and gave his youngest son his portion. Just a few days after that young son received his wealth, he gathered it all up, left his home and family behind, and traveled to a faraway land. When he got to that far land, he spent it all. Soon after he spent everything he owned, a famine struck the land. Quickly, that young son found himself broke and hungry and a land he did not know with no friends or family to save him. So he did what he had to do and he took a job working in the fields feeding the pigs. On a particularly low day, maybe his rock bottom, that young son was so hungry that he almost ate the slop he had just fed to those pigs. And it was in that moment that he had a revelation. He remembered that the men who worked for his father always had enough to eat. So he came up with a plan and a speech. He said, okay, here's what I'll say to my father. Father, I have sinned in the eyes of heaven and before you. I know I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I know that. But if you would just hire me to work for you, I promise I could do a good job. 
And with that speech in mind, he began that long journey home. Now, while he was still a ways off, his father saw him coming and ran to him. His father reached him and embraced him, kissed him, and when he stepped back, his son delivered that speech. He said, Father, I have sinned before heaven and before you. I, I know, I know, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but if, if you would just hire me, I could work for you, and I know I could do a good job. The father turned, pointed to one of the servants, and said, You, go get the finest clothes in our house Find a ring, the best shoes. Bring it all back and put it on my son right now. You, go prepare the grandest celebration we have ever thrown because my son who was lost has come home. He was dead and he is alive again. We have to celebrate. And they did. They celebrated. Now the older brother returned from the fields after a long day of work and when he came home, he heard the music, and he saw the dancing. And so he asked the servant, he said, hey, uh, what's going on? And that servant said, your brother has returned. Your father has thrown this grand party because he has received his son back safe and sound. And when the older brother heard this news, he became furious. He would not go in to that party. He would not celebrate. Now the father came out of that party to his older son and was pleading, come see your younger brother. But that older son said to his father, listen, I have always been faithful to you. I have obeyed every command you have ever given for years. You have never thrown a party half this size for me or for my friends. But when that son comes home, who ran away, who spent our wealth. You throw him this grand celebration? No, I will not go in. I will not celebrate. And the father looked at his older son and he said, Son, everything that is mine has always been yours. But we have to rejoice because your brother who was dead has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And that's the story of the prodigal son. All right, if you have your Bibles and want to open with me, we're going to be in Luke 15 today. Uh, if you've been reading along with us, then you kind of knew this story was happening. Next week, if you have your reading plan, it's in the bulletin. Um, we're going to be uh, going over the story of Lazarus. Um, and so you can see that that is in John 11. Uh, 1 through 44, and you can study that, and then, uh, of course, uh, come ready to uh, hear that story, and of course, the principles that we're going to teach uh, from that story as well. have several groups missing uh, today, which is kind of neat. Uh, the Peru team left, which is exciting, so I just want to encourage you to pray for them. Uh, it's 20-some um, young people, uh, a lot of them in high school that went down to Peru to minister the gospel to other people. Uh, they were here last week working on skits and things that they could do to uh, help them learn. One of our interns, Jordan, is down there, and uh, he learned how to sing some of our worship songs in Spanish so that he can, he can lead them, and I hope he 
says the words properly and doesn't accidentally cuss in their language or something as he's in their, in their services, but he was working on that, and so that's cool. Uh, also, our motorcycle group is, I went to the Noah's Ark uh, thing in Kentucky, and, and then uh, we have another group that's camping together, which is so cool. I love that we get to do community um, as a church, which is why we take those opportunities like the church picnic, and we just spend time together, and it's a great time to get to know each other. Uh, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, and so we really want to encourage you to get involved with those as much as possible. Let's pray. Father, we are so encouraged to be here today. We are thankful for who you are and what you're doing uh, in our lives. Lord, as we dive into this text and this scripture, Lord, I pray that your truth be completely revealed to us, and Lord, that you would help us to see, recognize, and react to your word today. Uh, we want to have the courage to move forward uh, with our lives, to take those steps that are necessary uh, to grow in you. And so, Lord, I ask that you will lead and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read the first two scriptures of, of Luke 15 to really kind of jump in and understand the reason, the foundation uh, for this story, the prodigal son. Because a lot of times we focus on the actual prodigal son, the one that left, but uh, this story is kind of wrongly named. It should be the prodigal sons uh, because both kind of miss out at different times on what the Heavenly Father wants to do. One, for reckless living. One, because of his righteous living. And so it's really interesting that we have those two dynamics and both of them are pulled away from the Heavenly Father and what He wants to do. The neat thing, though, about this story, and we'll see this as, as well, is the Heavenly Father pursues both people, which is really cool. Um, God is pursuing you today, and He wants you to make that decision uh, wherever you are, whether it's righteous living has pulled you away or whether it's reckless living has pulled you away. Um, he wants you to humble yourself and present yourself before Him, and He is ready uh, to take you in. But this is the foundation of why these stories, there are three stories here. We're only going to focus on one. We might talk about the others briefly. But this is the foundation. Now, in verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. This is Jesus that they're drawing near to hear. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, I want to explain to you kind of this, this dynamic here so that you'll understand a little bit about these people that Jesus is actually meeting with. Tax collectors we talk about, and in my mind I've always had this idea that a tax collector was, was a thief and a robber, and that's true. Uh, they would take extra, and that was what their, um, they would line their pockets with the extra money that they would take from people. But to understand this culture, you kind of got to understand uh, the Roman culture as a whole and why tax collectors were so shunned in this time. Romans uh, dominated most of the civilized world at this point, all the way from Great Britain to uh, Western Asia. They did north of Africa, all the way around the Mediterranean Sea. They basically ran uh, everything. And you know what it takes to run a, a massive land that large is a massive army. And Rome is praised often for how they were able to organize their army and reward people and how they were able to get so much accomplished uh, with their army. But to be able to rule that big of a, of, a, of a section of land, you had to have a massive army. How do we get people to sign up uh, to be in the army? We give them certain incentives. So soldiers were often uh, wealthy and well taken care of, and, and uh, they were able to go in and get slaves, and, and, and they, were, they were well rewarded uh, in this culture. But the countries that they invaded, of course, didn't appreciate them uh, very much. And so they had to get those guys with certain incentives. And how do we pay for these soldiers? Well, let's take up taxes. So these soldiers were oppressing the people, and the people had to pay for the soldiers to be there. Now let's shift that to our culture today. 
Imagine, imagine that in our day, somebody invades our country, all right? They come in, and they oppress you to the point where everything you need to live costs so much that you just can't even afford to buy it. And so instead of taking the money, they take your children. They make them slaves. They make them their, their, their wives or their concubines or their prostitutes. Um, and and they, they basically just wreck everything that you have. And then imagine that your neighbor decides to align themselves with this people. And so they come knocking on your door and they take your money from you. Not only do they take your money from you, but they take extra to line their pockets with. That is what a tax collector is like. They are just the low of the low. We despise them because they have aligned themselves with the wrong groups of people. Now I think about that in our own text, context, culture. All of us, I think, could, can relate to this in some way. There are people that we have identified as people that we won't associate with because they have aligned themselves with something that we completely disagree with. And that's at all different levels, right? That could be Muslims. That could be homosexuals. That could be other Christian groups or even just Christians as a whole. I don't want to associate with Christians. Fill in the blank. Because they act a certain way. They do something that I don't appreciate. They are this. And we've created that, right? I don't associate with Bears fans um, because they're from the devil. And... Uh, if you're a Bears fan in here, I'm sorry, we'll have a salvation uh, request at the end of the service, and you need to come forward for that. Uh, Michigan fans, you're welcome as well. Um, but, but, it's, but it's a reality, right? We've drawn lines in the sand, and we don't associate with certain people. Well, that's what happened here with Jesus. There are lines in the sand. Listen, we're Jewish people. We do not associate with those people because they have stabbed us in the back. They have aligned themselves with the wrong group of people, and now they have oppressed us and are taking our money where we can't survive comfortably. And it's miserable because of these people. They're traitors. And so Jesus is hanging out with these people. And it's not just these people. He's also hanging out with sinners. These are people that have just kind of walked away from what God is doing. Oh my goodness, these are filthy people. And the ones that are righteous, the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they can't believe it. What the, what is this guy doing hanging out with these people? This is ridiculous. And we judge people like that as well, don't we? I mean, this could be political. We could talk about Republicans and Democrats. You know, we don't align ourselves with certain people. We don't hang out with them. We don't talk to them. Why? Because they believe a certain thing. And Jesus is breaking down these barriers, and the Pharisees don't like it. That is why he tells this story. So understanding why he tells this story helps us to understand this story a little bit more. To break this down, after he hears the grumbling, he talks about a lost sheep. Because this is easy to understand for everyone. If you have a hundred sheep and you lose one, you will do whatever it takes to go and find that one sheep. Why? Because that's valuable and important to you. In fact, you'll leave the 99 in open country. Why is that such a big deal? Because they could run away, but at this point, they don't even matter. They're insignificant because I've got a lost one that I have to go and find. The best way I've heard this illustrated is with our children. Like if I called my wife and said, hey, honey, uh, bad news, uh, I lost one of our kids. Good news, I still have the other four. She wouldn't care about the other four, right? She would want to know what's going on with the lost one because that's all that matters in the moment. That makes sense to these people. The sheep, 
Then the coin, that makes sense as well. Coins are very valuable. I'm missing one. I have ten, I'm missing one. I'm going to search high and low for that one. So then after he takes those two quick little stabs to help them understand, the Pharisees understand, you know, what it means to be lost versus found, he goes into this story about the prodigal son. And I want to read this story and kind of help us to understand the principles here. So we're going to start in verse 11. We're going to make our way through a little bit of this. And I'm going to stop at a couple of different points and um, talk about some certain things. Excuse me. He said, there was a man who had two sons. And I love this, two sons. I, I believe, and I think I said this already, this should be called uh, the story of the prodigal sons. But he has two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So he's taking this. The younger son will typically get uh, one-third because there's only two sons. The older son gets a double portion of whatever there is. That's kind of the way their culture worked. So he gets two-thirds. The younger son gets one-third. So the father divided it up, gave him one-third of everything he had. Now why is this a big deal right here? Because in this culture, this is just unheard of, right? This kid is basically in this culture telling his father, I wish you were dead, go away and give me your stuff. Your stuff is more important to me than you are. That would kill the heart of a father, right? Because we're all dads here. That would just break my heart if my kids said that to me. I am hoping that I am always more valuable to my kids than my stuff is. And, you know, with all the debt that Americans have, most of us, it's easy to be that way, right? But it's just true. I'm hoping that I'm always more valuable, no matter how much wealth and, and money I have, that, that the wisdom I have, and that's the way it is uh, with my parents. I love uh, my dad and respect him so much that he's just so much more value to me, valuable to me alive than he would be gone. But this kid is saying, you know what? I wish you were gone. I want your stuff. And this is the part that just shocks me about the Heavenly Father. He divides it up and he gives it to him. You know, church, that this, this is kind of the way our Father works right here. We have all made these statements at different times, not intentionally, but kind of unintentionally in our hearts, in our minds, and with our actions. That yes, Lord, I know what you want. Yes, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to do what I want anyways. And you know what the Father does? Okay. Okay. If that's what you want to do, go do it. Understand there's going to be consequences with that, but go. Go. It's yours. Your choice. That's just amazing to me because I'm a, I'm a parent. And so often, you know, it's just difficult because we want to stop our kids from making stupid mistakes. This kid was going to make a stupid mistake. And the father said, all right, go ahead. So he divides it up and he sends him uh, on his way. 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took the journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He squandered it. Man, we have so many promises from our Heavenly Father, and I think we squander so much of that just in our reckless living. Do you know that God wants to bless you? I mean, I could show you scriptures, and we call them, you know, the prosperity scriptures, but he does. He wants to bless you. And I look at my own personal life and I ask myself this question, God, I don't feel so blessed right now. And oftentimes I'm reminded, you know what, Andy, that might be because of your uh, reckless living. Maybe that's on you and not on me. And I look at our culture as Americans and God has given us everything that we need to be totally blessed. We are eating really, really well and we have 
all kinds of, of I mean, jobs and, and finances. And, you know, the poorest people in America are still in the top 5% in the world, which is just unbelievable to me. And we've talked about that as well. Poverty level, at the peak of poverty level in America, reaches right around the top 1% uh, in the world. If you go to globalrichlist.com, you can see that. And look at that. It's just amazing because God has given us everything we need to be blessed. But our reckless living has caused us to be stressed instead of blessed. So anyways, he's reckless living and he blows it all. And in 14 it says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. How many people know that when it rains it pours? I've had a lot of people that have talked to me lately about how uh, difficult things have gone for them and, and they're just kind of struggling. And it seems like this reality, Murphy's Law, is just kind of reality for all of us. One thing goes wrong and then another thing goes wrong and then another thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong. And this, this, this guy, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to look at him and say, listen, you live recklessly, you deserve this. <clears throat> and I think that heart is often what we see and it's not a good one. That's the heart that the Pharisees had that Jesus is trying to address here. You deserve this. You deserve this, you deserve this. Well, thank God none of us get what we deserve if we follow him. Praise Jesus for that. But see, that's the idea that we can, we can kind of dive into, is that you deserve this. He's reckless living. Well, he spent everything that he had, and now there's a famine. Now there's a famine. You know, and this reminds me of like those economy crashes that we've experienced. You know, we've, we've been in debt, we spent everything we had, and then all of a sudden, there's a famine. And what happens? We're in trouble. We can't get out of it. We got to sell houses or we got to let the banks take them and so on and so forth. And it gets, in, it gets us in trouble. Well, this is where this guy is at right here because when it rains, sometimes it pours. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Unclean animals. This is not a place where he wants to be. And he was lounging or longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one, I'm going to repeat that, no one gave him anything. I think this might be the first dig at the Pharisees, because these are the religious leaders, these are the ones that have the truth, they have the knowledge, they have the food for great living, spiritual food, and they're not offering it. And I believe that as a culture, we can get that way as well, as, as a people. You know, this, this teaching, and I, and I mean this wholeheartedly, uh, whenever I read about the, the prodigal son and the older brother, it, it hits my heart personally because I'm always trying to be aware of where my heart is and those ideas of what people deserve and what they don't deserve and how I feel when somebody is blessed, so on and so forth. It's stuff that we have to be very, very careful of because God doesn't want us to the place where we're living recklessly like the first son. He also doesn't want us getting to the place where the righteousness um, that we've strived for is pulling us away from the Heavenly Father in the end. He doesn't want us in either place. And so we'll get to that, of course, a little bit more. But I believe this is the first dig that he has at the Pharisees. Like, guys, we have so much to offer the world, and we take it back, and we say, no, 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 no. You're over there. You've aligned yourself with the wrong groups of people. I love that they're doing the missions conference, and they're going to talk about how to, to deal with, you know, Muslims or different people, because I think it's a reality for us. Listen, we have the answers, and we want to give them to those people. Instead, we can say, no, 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 you, uh-uh. You align yourself with the wrong people. I'm not having anything to do with you. Go do your own thing. Or we could be the place where we could see somebody starving, spiritually starving, and we can give them what they need. Powerful. 
But when he came to himself, and I think this is a reality, an aha moment he has. And that's what I like to call him. If you've ever read the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey talks about how everybody gets those aha moments where just something clicks in their brain and it just shifts their character or it shifts their behavior because they know that they need to make this change. Now, I've seen this recently uh, in, our, in our oldest son. My, my oldest boy, Malachi, is 15 years old. And man, junior high years can be super fun uh, and also extremely challenging and difficult. Um, Malachi, you know, he's, he, he argues with me and will make statements. And of course, he challenges that or used to all the time. Even when he knew he was wrong, he would uh, rise up in pride and just argue, argue, argue. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? This is a 15-year-old, 14, 13 12-year-old boy, they just argue, even when they know they're wrong, because they have to prove that they're right and that the rest of us are absolute morons, which is what they believe, and now they have to prove that. So we're, we're arguing, 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 and he's come to this realization lately, and I don't know where it is, but all of a sudden, I guess he, he knows that arguing's not going to get him somewhere, and he'll apologize and admit that he did something wrong. And I don't even know what to do with that. When I'll be like, hey, buddy, you totally screwed up. You need to go and straighten that out. <coughs> oh, Dad, you're right. I'm sorry. Wait, what did you just say? <laughs> say that again in, in this year. Uh, you're right. I'm sorry. Dude, here's 20 bucks. Go uh, have a good time with your friends. I mean, what do you do when they're, when, they're, when they're humble like that? I don't know. But see, all the time we get these aha moments where we realize, listen, what we're doing right now is not working. <coughs> Excuse me. And some of us need this moment right now because we're looking at our lives and we're saying, listen, I'm, I'm in a marriage and what I'm doing right now is not working. You know, I'm dealing with my kids and, man, it's just a struggle. And what I'm doing right now is not working. And we put this pressure on ourselves to make sure that we're doing it just right. And maybe this is the time where we need to run to the Heavenly Father. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to have an aha moment and say, you know what, I'm going to lay this at the foot of the cross because I can no longer bear the weight myself. Well, he has an aha moment where he says, you know what? This is stupid. And I think we need to get there sometimes. In verse uh, 17, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Oh, there it is. There's the answer. I love this. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across, I think, to the, to the Pharisees right here, is this idea of humility. There's a scripture that I have that I was going to throw up at the end, but I'm going to throw it up now. Um, there's uh, James 4, verse 6, and this is reference back to uh, Proverbs. He says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Man, there's a big difference between pride and humility. And right here in this moment, this guy has decided, you know what, I left as a son thinking that I was going to be able to be a king, and I'm returning as a servant. And let's see what the Heavenly Father does. Let's see what, let's see what my, my dad does. Let's see what he does as I return with this idea that I'm going to be a servant. Guys, maybe that's where you're at. I don't know. Maybe you've decided, you know what, I'm just going to ignore the Father because I can do it on my own. And your idea is that you're eventually going to live as a king. And it hasn't worked out the way you want. Maybe today's the day where you just 
humble yourself and say, I'm going to return to the Father as a servant. And I think when we, when we put it in the Father's hands, we see what happens right here. So he decides to, to go, and he's just going to present himself as a servant before his Father. And you know what a reality is? Is he doesn't deserve for his Father to accept him. He has blown everything. He basically told his father, I wish you were dead. He took his father's stuff and he blew it. And now he's going to return and ask for basically a favor. He doesn't deserve this. And the, and the father could have thrown that in his face. You don't deserve this. Get away from me. But he didn't. Let's read on. When he arose and came to his father... And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get to finish his statement. He doesn't get to request to be a servant and the father stops him. I am not worthy to be your son. Man, I think that that might be the place that we need to get to, that humility. I'm not worthy, Lord, to be your son. And in that, then, the Father takes us, because we see this in Scripture. We can look at Romans, we can look at Ephesians, and he turns it. And when we approach him as a servant, he makes us a son. When we leave as a son thinking we're a king, we get humbled. But when we approach him as a servant, humbled, he exalts us. I mean, that's in the Scripture right there. So he goes and he says to his servants, go get a robe, go get a ring, go get shoes, put it on my kid because he was lost and he's found. He was dead and he's alive. My son, those are his words, has returned to us. My son. He doesn't declare him as a servant. He makes him a son. He gives him a ring for his finger which identifies him as a son. The finest robe in the house. He decides to kill the fatted calf. Because he has returned. This is huge. And I think it's a big part of all of our story. That there's a time that we have to humble ourselves and run to the Father. But that's when we see the other part of this story. This is the part where Jesus is really trying to address. This is where the knife goes in and it kind of twists in the Pharisees. As they hear the story being poured out. The Father did all of those things. And in verse 25, now his older son was in the field. This is the one who did it right. This is the one who actually kind of makes sense in this story based on what we think and what we believe and what we know. In our culture, in our families, there are just, there's just an element of this everywhere we go. This one, I did what I was supposed to do. I did it right. I should be rewarded for such actions. And he, he should be punished for such actions. That's the mentality of all of us. How many times, and I, I, I can't even count them, in my own home do I hear from my kids, that's not fair. That's not fair. Oh my gosh, I'm so sick of those words. Sometimes I think if those come out one more time, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just going to get it tattooed like on their foreheads or something so that when they come up to me, they don't even have to say it. I can just see it, you know. That's not fair. I know it's not fair. Uh, but we're going to do it anyway. You know what's not fair? It's not fair that I have to constantly search to figure out who did the wrong thing in the house. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, let's get off of that. We're going to get back to this right here. But that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. 
That's our mentality oftentimes. And that's the same idea I think that this son is approaching with. So anyways, he came in and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. I love that he went to one of the servants. This is a whole uh, different teaching, but I think this is a reality, isn't it? Oftentimes, we in our righteous living, we can go to people and talk about what we think the Father should do, or we talk about what we think other people deserve, instead of going directly to the Father himself. You know who had the ear of the Father? The oldest son. The Father declares later, everything I have is yours. All he had to do was come in and talk to him, but he refused. Instead, he went and talked to the servant. I mean, we could talk about gossip. We could talk about rumors. We could talk about all kinds of things that happen when we go to other servants to talk instead of going to the father himself. So he called the servant and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fat calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. He was angry and he refused to go in. One child left because of reckless living. One child refused to go in because of righteous living. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's unbelievable to me. These two elements in this story with these two characters who end up both in horrible positions. One because of righteous living, one because of reckless living. Either one of them is not going to participate with the Father. But what's awesome about our Father as we see this, and I talked about it already, is then the Father came out to entreat him. He came out to plead with his son. What are you doing? What are you doing? He's lost and now he's found. Come in and celebrate with us. I mean, I feel like I do this with my own kids sometimes. What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Come, participate. Let's have a good time together. This is something we should be rejoicing over. So what if it's because somebody else was blessed? This is our opportunity but he was angry and he refused to come in. But the father approached him anyways. And yet they still have this argument. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What is that saying? It's not fair. It's not fair. But such is the grace of of our Heavenly Father. Let me tell you the truth. There is somebody out there that has done it better than you. And, the, and, and we don't want to be judged by that person, do we? Because if we are, we don't measure up. But there's also somebody out there that hasn't done it as well as you. And I think that those two characteristics are real, and we need to recognize them both. Because there's a, there's a realization we need to come to that, yes, I'm not perfect. That person has done it better than me, and I need to approach my Heavenly Father as a servant, just like the younger son. But there's an other realization that I've done it better than this person. I've done it right, and it's not fair that they're blessed. No, 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 no. That's when we need to humble ourselves and approach the Heavenly Father and celebrate with Him. Because what was lost is now found. Quickly, I want to read the rest of these. But he answered his father, and he said those things. Um, he said... In verse 29, you haven't given me a young goat. In verse 30, when this son, when this one of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. See, it's fitting to celebrate no matter where we are. And I've been reading this book, uh, The Ideal Team Player. And he talks about three characteristics that are required to be a great team player. Uh, the first one is humility. Second one is hungry, passionate. And the third one is smarts, people smarts. You have to be humble, hungry, and smart. That's what he said. That's what makes the ideal team player. But the one that he is unwilling in this book, he says, I'm unwilling to compromise on, is the humility side of it. You have to be humble. I'll let you, uh, if you're a little bit not people smart, that's fine. We can train you in that. If you lack a little bit of passion, okay, I can try and motivate you. But if you are not humble, you will instantly be removed from the team. Because I cannot have you participate if you think you know it all and you think you're better than everybody else. You will do me no good on this team. So you will be gone. I think that's so interesting because he's found that perspective in the business world. Let's try and see if we can find that perspective in the church world. Guys, God looks at us and says, I oppose the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Because we see how important humility is to our Heavenly Father. We have to approach Him with that humility, recognizing that I am just not there. And it's only by the grace of God that I can get there. And we have to lower ourselves as a servant, and He will then turn around and make us a son. Neither one of these kids are anything without the Father. Neither one of them. Both of them lost perspective of that. If the Father wasn't there, neither one of them inherits a single thing. And they lost that. One with righteous living, one with reckless living. Let's come back knowing how important the Father is in our life. Let's regain that perspective and humble ourselves, willing to approach Him as a servant and allow Him to exalt us as a son. Father, we thank You for Your Word and Your truth. And Lord, I ask that you will lead and guide us as we strive uh, to do our best to be humble before you, recognizing that you are the one that truly exalts and that if we decide to do it ourselves, it will just lead to failure. Father, we praise you for every opportunity we get to learn and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one thing that happened with uh, sin, I think, that people don't recognize is that Sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and it made life unfair for everybody. Life is a, not a fair proposition, and everybody lives different lives, different ramifications for everything you do, and your walk with God is different than my walk with God. The common denominator is Jesus. So, you know, you're sitting here, you know, and you can put yourself in, in the place of the older brother who had a religious connection with his father, Basically, he lived in the house, and he got anything he wanted pretty much at the father's expense. The other one fell away, took everything he had, took it away, spent it all. But the father treated them, as far as the party was concerned, the same. He, he offered the party to his younger son. He offered the party to his older son. The younger son knew he was a sinner, and he came in. The older son was ticked. He got upset and he wouldn't come in. Both of them had an invitation. It was in their hands. So, you have an invitation. Wherever you are with your walk with God, you have an invitation to come into the party. It's not up to the Father. He's already invited you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him 
whoever shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So I don't know where your walk with God is. I don't know where you're at at all. But I want to give you the same invitation. Maybe you're far from God today. If you're far from God, you can come into the party. You're invited. It's up to you. It's not up to him anymore. He's already decided to invite you. I'd like you to bow your heads right where you're seated. Say, Pastor Tim, I'm one of the people that just need to get back to God. I need to get to God. And I want to get to him today. I want to give him my life. I need the Father in my life. I want to connect with him. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up where you're seated. And then I want you to look up at me. As soon as you lift your hand up, look up at me. Let me recognize you. Right over here, one. Anybody else? Want to get back to the Father? Okay, here's another one right here. That's two. Anybody else? Don't hesitate. All right, everybody stand to your feet if you would with me. Church, there are two people. We had three in the first service. Two people today that want to get back to God. That's powerful. Amen? Their lives are going to be changed forever from this day forward. It's an eternal decision. So I want you to help us, okay? You guys who raised your hands, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And the whole church is going to pray with you. So you're not on your own. You're supported. If you're on the prayer team, come on up here, prayer team, to the front, if you would. So everybody say this prayer. Mean it from your heart. Even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you can still pray this prayer because you need a Savior. Amen? Everybody say, Father God, I thank you that you don't cast me out, but you invite me in. I want to take advantage of that. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I believe in my heart that he's risen from the dead that I might be saved. I thank you, Father, that your word is true, that you did not abandon me, but you took me back. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. All right. If you need prayer, come on up. The prayer team's up here. If you lifted your hand and you asked Jesus to come into your life today, I want you to come up. Of course, we can't make you, but we'd like you to come up and connect with someone that will pray with you and kind of get you pointed in the right direction, all right? Give someone a high five. Tell them you're glad they came to church. Enjoy the rest of the day.